as a church, we've been walking through a series together talking about the kingdom of God. And if City Lights is not your regular home, if this is the place that you're visiting today, um, we do believe that God's kingdom is not just something that's after we die, but it's here on the earth, and he's brought it through Christ. And we've been talking about that for a while, and uh, even though we're taking a little bit of a, a detour today, um, this message has been in my, in my heart for a while because th- this whole book is about the kingdom of God in us. Uh, this whole thing is about his love for us. Um, so I'm really excited to share this message with you. Um, but uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been watching TV um, or something's been happening, maybe in real life, and, and it wasn't something you had on demand where you could rewind it. It wasn't a video on your app, you know, on your, on your phone. It was something that was happening at a specific time. So it was either a show that was happening on, on TV. I mean, my kids can't fathom the concept of a time before Netflix. They don't understand that, you know, you had to wake up on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. Like, that was the way it was, you know? They don't understand this. So I'm talking about something that happened in real life, this cool moment where you wanted somebody else to see this with you. And so you yell for your spouse or your friend who's on the other side of the house doing something. You're like, hey, hey, come here, come here, come here. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're, like, begging for them to come see this real quick. And then they get there, and they missed it by, like, two seconds. And they're like, oh, what happened? You're like, I don't even know how to explain that. Um, well, there was this thing, and it was cool. You, you guys know what I'm saying. And it's just like a letdown when somebody can't enjoy that moment with you, right? When they don't see what you just saw. The entire biblical narrative, the entire book here, this thing, God's word on the earth for us, is this overarching, amazing story of God demonstrating his heart for us, and there are specific moments where God just says, hey, 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 I want you to see this. I want you to look for a second. Don't miss this. You guys might miss this, and I don't want you to miss this. I want you to catch this moment. This morning, I am not going to walk through our traditional, typical road from the cross to the tomb sort of narrative that a lot of churches do. I think that's great. You guys, if you hear me, You hear me say that narrative all the time. It's in our blood. This morning, I want to ask you to open up your eyes to be ready for a snapshot of God showing us something. Make sense? That we might not have seen before. And I want you to grab on the overarching story of the resurrection, of the crucifixion, of creation, of revelation. I want you to grab on with with me, if you will, and have your eyes open for this moment. That make sense? I want you to catch this because some of you guys are going to be distracted with other things and then you're going to ask me to repeat it. And I'm like, ah, you missed it. Go, go listen to the podcast. No, I'm kidding. Um, and I want to start off by showing you the first real example we have of God telling his people, hey, don't miss this moment. I want you to watch. I want you to observe what I'm about to do. And it starts in Exodus chapter 12. If you would, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Keep that. Take that with you. It's yours. You can have it. Um, You can also follow along on the screen, but we believe that every person should have a Bible. It's God's word for us. It's exciting. if If you don't know me, I get real excited about this thing, about the Scripture. I love it. So if I feel more excited and you're like, why is he so excited this morning? Because this is real. This is not like, I mean, I like taking my kids to see Disney movies. They're not real, just so you know. Those princesses, when I went to Disneyland with the girls this year, and we went to Belle's Castle, and we had lunch there, guess what? Never happened. Like, I went there, but it's not real. That, that rose that melts, it didn't happen. Sorry to burst your bubbles. Those princesses are not real. 
what is real is everything in here. Everything in here is God's story, and we've got to look at it with a completely different type of excitement. So this morning, I want you to look at Exodus chapter 12. I want to explain a few things, and then we're going to read together uh, chapter 12, verse 33, is where we'll actually read the text today. Um, like I said, I'm really ex- excited. I have a lot in me today, and I hope you can follow along. We're going to be skipping, jumping around a couple different chapters in the, in the Bible. And if, if you can't find them, that's fine. We'll have it on the screen um, as well. But Exodus chapter 12, let me tell you what's happening here. So God's people, Israel, is under the persecution of Egypt. They're under Pharaoh's rule and command. They are made slaves in Egypt, right? And so finally, after years and years, generation after generation of being persecuted and under slavery, they cry out to God. They're like, God, we need help. And God hears their cries for a redeemer, Okay, And he grabs Moses and he says, go, be my voice. You guys know Moses and the Ten Commandments and all that? And then there was plagues, right? And this chapter 12 takes place at the end of the tenth plague, the final plague. And each one of these plagues is literally an appeal to one of Egyptians' gods, where God says, yeah, that God that you believe in, I'm better than him. That God you believe in, I'm better than him. So Pharaoh, I'm telling you, let my people go because I'm better than your gods. That's, that's all the plagues, what they are. And so this final one, God says to his people, what I want you to do, I want you to go out and find a perfect, spotless lamb. No blemishes, nothing wrong with that lamb. I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to take his blood, and I want you to put it over the doorframe of your family's house. Because tonight, the angel of death is going to cross over Egypt and every house that has this over their door, that will be my people. Those will be the people who have listened to my words, trusted in my methods, and come underneath my blood. And then I will kill and destroy the oppressors, the wicked, those who are, are not a part. So he kills the firstborn. So a lot of us already are familiar with the story. So this is what's happening that night. Chapter 12, I want you to see, so that Israel did exactly what God said to do. They put the blood over the doorposts. They sacrificed the sacrificial lamb for their family, put it over their house, and went home and waited. And then we see the angel of death passes over, and they begin to hear the wails of Egypt, the cries as people discover their firstborn child's dead. And this is what happens in verse 33. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls before bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sights of the Egyptians, so that they left, let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So the people who were stealing from them, now they turn around and say, yeah, on our way out, can we have gold and silver and the clothes? And God says, yeah, I'm going to give you favor. What they stole from you, I'm giving back. Make sense? That's what's happening here. It's a pretty exciting moment for, for Israel. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. This is a large crowd. So we're only counting the men, 600,000. So for each man, there's a woman, a couple kids. As they say in Scranton, two tree kids. Um, so there's a big, the mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. 
And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough they brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor could they prepare any provisions for themselves. So this is a hurry thing. This is like, we're moving fast. We don't have time for our bread to get ready for the journey. We're just going to take it as it is. It's not even rising. We're on the way out. They're sending us out because all their firstborn just died because they didn't listen to God. They held us in slavery when God kept giving them warning after warning after warning to let them go. And finally, here they're like, get out, go, quickly, run. So they're leaving with stuff. They're excited. They're moving. Verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, when that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Here's the verse I want you to see. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is the night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Today, Jewish men and women and children all across the world celebrate what's called Passover. It's to remember when they were passed over. They were let out of slavery when God heard their cries and delivered them. And so God says to them on that same night, hey, you're fleeing. I want you to remember that this night will always be, the night that you celebrate Passover will always be the night of watching, the the night of vigil, to take a vigil and to observe what I'm about to do, how I am moving on the earth, how I hear my people's cry. Every night from every generation, that's what this night is. It's a night of vigil. So we, we know the term Passover, but we forget that the, also there's a term that goes with that next. So after you have the meal, the Passover meal, that evening, that next night is called the night of watching. What happens to Israel after this? They run, they flee. The next thing that happens, they're stuck in front of a big sea. And Pharaoh turn, changes his mind. He's behind them with his old army. And God says to, to Moses, lift up your rod, lift up your hand. Show my power, and the sea splits. It's one more moment in this journey where they get to see God's hand at work. It's a night of watching, observing his goodness toward them. Make sense? God wants us to see his hand and his power on display. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. See, I want, I want to point out something, and we're going to see it here in this verse a little bit more. Every generation from this time, from Israel's freedom, it's not just a night of vigil to remember, but it's also a night to look forward to what God's about to do next. That's the mind of Israel during this time. When they celebrate Passover, it's not just a remembering thing, it's also a looking forward thing. It's a night of watching. Make sense? It's not just remembering, it's also looking forward and waiting, anticipating, ready to see what God's about to do. In Matthew chapter 26, we see that Jesus sits down with his disciples to celebrate what? Passover. He shares the cups with them. He talks about his betrayal that's about to happen and his death that's about to happen. They don't quite get it. So they have this Passover meal together. And what happens that night? Verse 36. 
Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not that what I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed. And for the third time, saying the same words again, he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That same night, that night of watching, Jesus brings his disciples with him and he says, this is the night of watching. Watch with me what God is about to do. This is not Jesus who needs disciples on lookout. This is not Jesus who's like, hey, let's keep Judas and the betrayers away. Hey, guys, I need a warning. I need you to let me know if some bad guys come into the garden at night. That's not what Jesus is asking his disciples to do. He's saying, I want you in this moment to observe what God is doing for his people. Not just his people, but for all the world. Disciples, here's an important moment in the time span of history. Here's this moment that I'm asking you to partake in. Watch and see what I'm about to do. And he goes into the garden and he says, if possible, let this cup pass. Jesus was not afraid of death on the cross. He was not afraid to be a martyr, quote-unquote. He was not afraid of pain. What he was internally wrestling with is the cup is always symbolic of the wrath of God. Jesus, who is perfect, perfectly God, perfectly man, said, I, in this physical body, cannot handle the wrath of God. I can't handle separation from you. I wasn't made to be separated, but I know this is what has to happen. I was made to be separated. Does it make sense? Jesus wants his disciples to see what is happening in this moment where Jesus is coming before the Father as God, but as man and saying, I lay my life down for the world. This is a beautiful moment that he invites them to observe, to pay attention to, and they miss it. They're sleeping. Three times he catches them sleeping. He says, The spirit is indeed willing, but your flesh is weak. This morning, church, this is a beautiful Resurrection Sunday, and I want you to put your heart in a place to where you can see who Christ is and what this moment was in the span of eternity. I want you to observe with me. Maybe you've observed Easter in a traditional form year after year after year. You've come to church. You've had your Easter eggs. You've done your hunts. You've done your thing. But your heart, your mind, your spirit hasn't observed how important this is for you. How really life-changing this is for not just your life, but for all of mankind. God invites us to watch with him. To watch what he has done and what he is doing. 
there are three things that I want you to see this morning in the, in the Scripture. Watch who God is. Watch what He has done. The first point is I want, I want to point out to you that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb for us. He is that lamb that was slain and put over our doorpost so that the Father could look at us and say, they're my people. I will not touch them. I will not destroy them. They are my people. I'm giving them freedom from slavery. Jesus is the Passover lamb that was slain. John 11, verses 49 through 55, we see that this, the people persecuting Jesus look at him and say, better one die than we all ruin. And then it says this was a prophetic thing. He didn't even know what he was talking about. He didn't even know that this is one dying for all. This is that one lamb slain for all. John chapter 1, verse 29, we see John the Baptist comes on the scene and he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The word behold in Greek is way more powerful than what we see in the English. It is a commanding word inviting us, not just inviting us, commanding us to observe what is about to happen. Like I said, this entire book, this narrative is a commandment and an invitation for us to see God doing something. So here John brings up the same imagery. Look, everybody, behold, here's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. This is that Passover lamb. John knew it before Jesus was even doing ministry. He didn't even do anything yet, really. And John was able to see this is who he is. This is the purpose that he's coming for. This morning, God is demanding our attention to see what he has done for you. He is the Passover lamb for you. I was, this week, I was reading Matthew on Friday. I was reading the crucifixion account uh, on Friday, Good Friday. And I was in my office, and I've read it a thousand times. I went to Bible college. I grew up in church. I've heard the, the story of the crucifixion a thousand times. And a thought popped into my mind on Friday that I had never thought before. These words written by Matthew were written by a disciple who walked the journey with him. And I began to read my text, and I thought, these words weren't just written as fact. They were probably writ- written, dripped in tears. Here, Matthew, who walked with Jesus for three years, is retelling, writing down the story of not only his closest friend, but his Savior and God, and how he was bruised, beaten, thorns stuck in his head, side pierced, nails pierced, uh, hands pierced for us. And I thought, how can Matthew, there's no way he can sit and write this the way I often read this. There's no chance that he's sitting here and Jesus was crucified. This is how, it's not that at all. It's just my heart pouring out on the pages. Make sense? And so Good Friday, I sat in my office and I thought, what did Matthew feel like in that moment, writing these for all of us to know? This is real. This is life. This is happening. I also thought, though, I'm sure when he got to chapter 28 and he talked about the resurrected Christ and the mission that he now gets to carry and the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of him, the laughter that he was probably writing the words with, the smile on his face. He went from mourning in 26 to to celebrating in joy in 28. This is real life for them. And I, I ask you, can you see that? Can you, can you watch with this? This is real life for us that we're invited to partake in, to be a part of this, to really celebrate the resurrection every day of our lives. I don't think there was a day in the rest of Matthew's life that he didn't celebrate this morning, that he didn't think about. It didn't end that way. It didn't stay in the grave. 
My sin stayed there. My, the old Matthew stayed in the grave with him because we were buried in Christ and resurrected in Christ, right? That old man stayed there, but the new one is alive. I'm sure every day of Matthew's life, he was able to live with that perspective. <clears throat> he was able to see what it really was about. The second thing I want to point out to you, not only is he the sacrificial lamb, but the scripture tells us that he is a good shepherd for us. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10. My watch, I put on an old watch out of my drawer, and uh, the time is wrong. So I have no idea. If you have to go and get your Easter ham out of the oven, I won't shame you today, I promise. This is the one day I won't shame you. I'm kidding. We're okay. All right, we're 1140. That means I still got two hours. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All the visitors are like, wait, how long does this church go? It did not say that on the website. It said 1030 start time. There was no end time. Um, no, I want to honor you today, and I, I, will, I will not hold you here long, but I want to share what God's put in my heart for today. John chapter 10, if you would, turn there. We're going to read a few verses. So if it's on the screen, starting in verse 1. This is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheep door, sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So this is, once again, classic Jesus moment. He's teaching, using a story, using imagery, and, and they're all like, I don't really know what he's talking about. And Jesus is like, all right, let me explain it one more time. Some of you guys didn't get what I just said. Let's do it again. So Jesus again, this is verse 7, said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, for I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for his sheep. Jesus says here in this part of John, he tells the people, this is not just his disciples, look, I am the good one, the good shepherd to lead you to safety. All those other voices were false. I am the good shepherd who loves you. I'm the only way that you get to find life, life abundantly. I lead you to pastures. This is a parable about his grace. This is a parable about the goodness of God. He leads us into his goodness. Have you ever... Um, I love that it says he leads them to pastures. This verse popped out to me this week. Have you ever seen a sheep worried? No, right? He leads sheep to pastures. Guess what? A sheep only cares about pastures. I've never seen a sheep saving up to get a sports car. 
or to pay his taxes. I've never seen a sheep worried. Sheep have one purpose. And Jesus says, look, sheep, I give you the very thing you were created for. In me you find real life. I am the good shepherd who will lay my life down, who has laid my life down for you. All those other false things that try to pretend they're your shepherds, pretend they're good and leading you somewhere good, the moment a wolf comes, they scatter because they don't own you. They're not invested in you. But I lay my life down for you. Jesus is the only one who has and will ever lay his life down for you. I love the people in my church. I got great friends up here, and I'd like to think that I would, you know, jump in front of a bus for them, but I can't guarantee that. (laughs) Just being honest. Jesus says, all the other ones, they'll, they'll run. They will run. But I am the good shepherd, and I've laid my life down for my sheep. That's who he is. So the first point is that he is the sacrificial lamb, but he's also the good shepherd for us as lamb. He runs after us. He lays his life down for us. He leads us to real life. The final thing I want to point out about this this part here, I find it really interesting that Jesus says in, in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus says, that he knows us just as much as the Father and him know each other. God knows you just as much as he knows the Father, which is like the other part of the Trinity, the one that he's in perfect unity with. That's how much he is invested and knows you. That's how much he cares for you. The same way that they know each other, he knows you because you're his. He, let me say this this morning. God has not forgotten any person in this room. Jesus is not unconcerned or apathetic toward anybody sitting in this room, let alone the world. He knows you and cares for you as much as he cares for the other part of himself. That's a pretty big deal. He knows me just as much as he knows the Father. I like to think of Jesus and and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity as like this perfect example of knowing each other because they are. And I somehow like distance myself from that. Like if I could only get to that kind of knowing. He already knows me that way. He's inviting me to know him that way. He's inviting you to be a part of that experience of community. That experience of being known. Make sense? You are... Church, I'm asking, can, can you not watch? Can you not see what he's doing this morning? Can you not see what the resurrection really is? He is the good shepherd. The third and final point that I want to point out this morning is he also finds lost sheep. In Luke chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, we see this beautiful parable of grace where Jesus says, he says that if there's a shepherd and he has 100 sheep and there's 99 over here all together, in a field, in an open field. There's 99 together. One is lost. Will not the shepherd leave the 99 to go get the one? And he says it like, of course he will. All of us are like, no. Not a chance. I got 99. Why would you go get one? Okay, it's one. Not a big deal. I don't need that one. He says, that's not the way I work. I am in the business of looking for the lost. That's all that I do. And then he says, he says, 
He says that there's so much celebration in heaven over that one than the other ones who are righteous. But really what that term is talking about, the ones who think they are righteous, the ones who think they don't need a shepherd to find them. Jesus says, I'm in the business of not looking for the ones who think they're all huddled up in their religious grouping, thinking that they are their own saviors. I'm in the business of finding the ones who know they are lost. What happens to lost sheep? Anybody? Tell you guess. They get eaten. They die. They starve. They get stuck in a bush and die. They, something happens and they die. That's what happens to lost sheep. Every one of us is that lost sheep without him. And he is in the business of not only being a good shepherd, giving us good pastures, or being that sacrificial lamb, but he's also in the business of finding lost sheep. That's his whole objective. That's his whole thing. If, if you don't believe me with the whole righteousness, and you think the 99 are like the church people, and like God's like, hey, church, you'll be okay without me for a few minutes. I'm going to go over here and find this one sinner. That's not really the point. And the reason I know it's not the point is because in Matthew and in Luke, when he brings that story up, one has to do with the self-righteous, and the other one has to do with disciples who think they're awesome and righteous. So both of them is pointing out, don't be the righteous one. Be that lost sheep. Let me find you. I will find you. That's what I do. He is an amazing, loving, good shepherd who finds lost and dead sheep. I was a dead sheep without him. You are a dead sheep without him. But he finds us. That's who he is. We have a resurrected Savior who was crucified to be our eternal Passover lamb, marking us as one of his own people. We have a resurrected Savior who wants you to see him. He invites you to see him as your good shepherd that will lead you into abundant life. He's inviting you. See what I'm doing. See what I'm doing in this moment. See what I did in the garden. See what I did on the cross. See what I did in the tomb. Man, Saturday, I just, I was really intentional this year to focus on the cross, to focus on what, what was happening. And just to think on Saturday is the day like churches don't really celebrate too much, but thinking he was in the grave so that I didn't have to be. He was putting himself in the grave so that my sins could stay there and I didn't need to. It's beautiful. He's inviting us to really observe. Come and see. Come and see what he's doing. We have a resurrected Savior who wants you to see him as the good shepherd leading you to abundant life. The question we have to ask when we look at that text is, do we know his voice? Are you hearing him? Are you responding to the invite? Are you following him into life? Today is a good a day of celebration. I, lo- I, la- I think last year I spoke about what N.T. Wright says. He's a great British theologian. And he talks about how we spend so much time leading up to the crucifixion with our, with our 40 days of, uh, of fasting and Lent and, and all these things that we do in like this grieving process. And then Easter comes and we have one morning, we give out some eggs and chocolates and, and we have some lilies on the stage. One fell over. There was four, now there's three. You know, it happens. We have this one day of celebration, right? We get all excited. I wear a tie, you know. I sweat a little more because I'm in a tie. We have this one day that we go special and somebody makes a ham and mashed potatoes. This is the first year we're having Chinese. It's weird. I don't know. We got a baby at home. We don't feel like cooking right now. 
But we go crazy on this one, like this, leading up. We do all these festivities going up to that moment. All these little services. And then the resurrection happens and we have one service where we dress nice and eat a big lunch and then that's it. That's it. And N.T. Wright talks about how it should be the opposite. We should have 40 days of feasting and parades in the streets and popping off bottle rockets and just, it's just a feast for like 40 days. Because we were once dead and now we're alive. There's a story that's real and you're invited to be a part of it. There's a banquet set before us and you get to sit at the table. Just, just the other day I was sitting with Robert in my office and we were talking about the story of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, had no, he was a cripple who had no right to sit at David, King David's seat at his table. And there's this awesome song by Leland called Carried to the Table. And he says, I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. That is you and I, because you and I have been invited to observe what God is doing for his people, bringing us to a table where we don't belong, seated with the king. I love that Jesus says we are seated with him in heavenly places. The disciples did not realize the importance of that hour. They didn't realize what he was doing. And I feel like so often we go through life where God's saying, look, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing in your life. Not just in the grand scheme of, of, of creation, not just for all of our salvation, but look what I'm doing for you in this moment. Look what I'm doing at your job. Look what I'm doing in your family. Look how I've heard your cries. Look how I've heard your prayers. Listen, come here, come here, come here, look. And we fall asleep on him. And we wake up and something's different and we're like, wait, where'd Jesus go? Oh, it's Peter cut his ear off. It's just crazy. We're confused. And Jesus is like, you just couldn't stay awake with me, could you? You just couldn't be a part of this moment with me. I want you to celebrate this moment. I want you to live out a response to this moment. And so many times, Jesus is like painting the picture for them. You know, I love Matthew 16. It's one of my favorite passages where Peter gets this divine revelation from God that he is the Messiah, right? And then Jesus says, yeah, and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no way, this can't happen. Jesus is like, you, you just don't get it. One moment you get it, the next moment you don't. Like, like, pay attention to what I'm doing here. Church, I want you to look and watch and see what God has done. I want you to look and watch and see what he is calling you to. I want you to look and watch and see what he is about to do for you and this city. God's kingdom has come and it's not stopped. The story is not over. These these pages are over, but the church is the extension of this. You and I get to be the extension on the earth of this. Let's see that he is doing something, and it started on Resurrection Sunday. This Easter, we not only celebrate a lamb who was slain so that we could have life, but we also celebrate Jesus, the good shepherd that finds and saves lost sheep. That's the part of the story we are in now. That's where you and I get to be a part of this thing. If we can stand, we're going to sing worship. We just want to put our heart in front of him one more time in celebration. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you to do something for me. If you have never found Christ to be your Savior, you've never asked him into your heart as your Lord your sacrificial lamb that was slain, if you've never, in a sense, put the blood over your doorpost, that's what it is. Asking him into our heart is putting his blood over the doorpost of our life. 
you are invited to have real life, to be shepherded by a good, good shepherd. Some, I really got to say that somebody is hearing me and you understand cognitively what I'm saying, but you don't see him as good. I'm telling you, he's good. I, I can't go into the details of that, but he loves you more than you will ever begin to grasp. He is a good father. Your father might not have been, but he is. He is the perfect father. And he is inviting you to let him be your shepherd. This morning, I'm not going to make you stand, come to the altar and, and pray a specific prayer. I'm simply asking you as we worship, evaluate your heart. And it's simply, if you want him as your savior, you say, Jesus, I make you my savior. I cannot be that self-righteous or even unrighteous person thinking I can do it on my own. I need you in my life. That's all it is. It's a personal thing between you and the and the Father. I would love for you to come and share that with me or one of our leaders, uh, somebody on the worship team after service. We'd love to celebrate with you and encourage you in your walk. But this is not a formal thing. There is no like go to heaven prayer in the Bible. It's simply if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he is Lord, we will be saved. That's what it is. I'm asking you to see this and receive it this morning and then share it with me because I think it's amazing. If all of heaven celebrates one lost what will they do this morning if you receive him as your good shepherd, as your savior? They celebrate. Let's worship a little bit this morning.